Welcome to River West. My name is Adam, one of the pastors here. I thought I'd let you in on a little something that's happening in my life right now. So actually, right in this moment, I'm experiencing quite a bit of discomfort because my mouth is literally filled with canker sores. Yeah, oh, thank you. Okay, I feel a lot better about myself now. So I had, a, I had a dental procedure done this week and then something about that caused all these canker sores and they're, they're, they're just gnarly. And I've got this one big one right up here on, on the front. So every, every word I, I form, the, that canker sore slides right over the rib of my tooth and then comes back up and it's just, it's a beautiful experience. So I'm telling you this because if I start to tear up, up here. It's not because I'm emotional about the message. It's, I'm actually in pain. Okay. Just so you know, but enough about me. It's a beautiful day here at River West. Isn't it an amazing, beautiful day? And the sun is shining out there and it's amazing. Uh, today is a baptism Sunday at River West. And that means we're inviting you to come back tonight at 6.30 p.m. and join us as we celebrate what God has done through his son Jesus to transform the lives of a, buzz, a bunch of folks in our church. So the 5.30 service will happen and then we'll take a break right about 6.30. So if you came back at 6.30, then you could join us, come in and celebrate baptism. That'd be great. Uh, but today is also a communion Sunday, and that means after the message, we'll go to the table together. And if you were here last week and you heard Guy's amazing sermon about gratitude, you learned that we're going to begin to celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's a beautiful thing. So that's going to be a new rhythm. Yeah. And I'm glad you're clapping about that because now I'm going to ask you to help with communion prep every Sunday. So because we're doing it every Sunday, we need your help, especially if you're excited about this. You know, the Eucharist, which is the, the, the ancient word that the church used to describe the Lord's Supper, that word means thanksgiving. It's a word about gratitude. So we go to the table every Sunday now as a part of the rhythm of our church, and we just thank God for the gospel. And so we need your help. If you're interested in being on that team after the service, head out to the connect table. There's a sign up out there. We'd love your help with that. But right now we're going to get into the word. So we open to the book of Acts chapter one. Like I said, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers are coming. I'm excited to be in the word together. And as you're turning to Acts chapter one, here is what you need to know as we prepare to open God's word. Prayer is the activity in the church that enables a people who are otherwise powerless to tap into the unlimited power of God. And it's prayer that makes that connection, okay? Something happens when the church gathers together and prays. A connection is made. It's like we're allowed to tap into something, something ultimate, something unbelievably powerful. Like a a lightning rod on the top of a building that harnesses all of this electricity from the heavens and moves it down to the ground. So it is that when God's people gather together 
and pray, somehow they're able to harness God's power and they're able to accomplish God's mission in the world. I've got this picture of electricity. Um, and uh, my, my wife and I, this summer, we were in Korea. That's actually Seoul, South Korea. I did not take that picture. I wish I did. But that's actually in Seoul, South Korea. And we were in Seoul, and while we were in Seoul this summer, the most epic lightning storm rolled into the city. We were there. My wife and my daughters had gone over to serve in this Ilsan community, this community of orphans um, who, are, who have aged out. Many of them have disabilities, and so my wife and daughters were serving there. And then I joined them, and then we traveled around Korea together. My wife has Korean, she's Korean by, by um, heritage. Her mother was born in Seoul. So it was this amazing trip. We traveled around Korea, and then we came back to Seoul. And on our first night in Seoul, we had this hotel room that looked out over the city, a lot like the view that you're looking at. And this incredible lightning storm came in. And one of the things I noticed is you never see the lightning rods on a building until the flash of light. And then suddenly you notice them on each of those buildings, and you're thankful they're there. Okay, you're thankful they're there. Did you know that scientists say that in one lightning strike, on average, there are one billion joules of energy that travel from heaven to the earth in one lightning strike? I have no idea what a joule is, okay? But I'm pretty sure I don't want to get struck by one billion of them. That's all I know. And I know that the building that I'm in, I want that lightning rod on there because that lightning rod harnesses all that energy, moves it through a cable down to the ground, and the energy hits the ground. And so it is. You can take that picture down. So it is when the church prays. That's what happens when the church prays. River West if we're going to fulfill the mission that God has for us as his church, we've got to be a church that prays together. Got to be a church that prays. And the sermon this morning is not just about your individual prayer life, although that is certainly essential. I'm going to tip my hand a little bit this morning and tell you that what we're talking about is the power that is harnessed when, a, when believers gather together in a corporate sense and with united hearts and united minds, they seek God in prayer. Something powerful happens. That's why word number four in our list of traits is the word prayer. So we're in this series called The Living Church and we're working through these traits and we've done Jesus and gospel and gratitude. And word number four is prayer. And since the very beginning of the church, since day one in the life of those first believers who were following the risen Christ, they knew that they needed to be a people who gathered together and prayed. It was instinctual for them. Will you look at it with me? Acts chapter one is where we're going today, starting in verse six. Let's read it together. The, the context is the book of Acts opens up is that Jesus, the risen Lord, is trying to prepare his disciples for the mission that awaits them. So he's been talking to them about the kingdom of God and he's been giving them some instructions. And in verse six, it goes like this. Now, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you 
to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus says, don't worry about the time. Don't worry about times and, and, the, and, the, my, and my final return. Your job is to focus on your mission. Don't you wish that people obeyed that verse? You'd think that the doomsday sayers would figure out that they're never going to get it right, right? And they just keep predicting the end of the world. The most recent one was in September. It was wrong, okay? Jesus says, stop thinking about that and focus on your mission and wait for power. You, you believers, you need power. You know, Jesus, this verse, verse 8, Jesus had said this basic instruction several times. He really wanted the disciples to know, you got to wait. I'm going to send you a power source, the Holy Spirit, and you're going to need it if you're going to accomplish my mission for you. So in the end of Luke, Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus had said, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. He said, I'm gonna send you, I'm gonna send you the spirit and you need to wait in Jerusalem until I pour out my spirit on you. You're gonna need that power, church. And then in Acts chapter one, verse four, we didn't read it, but you can see it right there in your Bible. Jesus had said, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. His, his mission was clear and his instructions were clear. Go back to Jerusalem and wait and power will fall. And then here's what happened next as he was speaking these words, verse nine, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's really interesting. Maybe you recognize that idea of like these two, these two dudes dressed in glorious white. That happened at the empty tomb. Do you remember that? The same exact thing. The women are at the tomb and they're looking in and two angels appear dressed in white and they say, why are you staring into an empty tomb looking for the dead, looking for the living among the dead? Jesus has risen He's alive. And now the same two angels are standing as the disciples gaze into heaven and Jesus has ascended and a cloud has taken him away and angels appear and they say, why are you gazing into heaven? You know, it's time to get on with the mission. And so here's what happened, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. It's the 11 disciples minus the one, right? Judas Iscariot. So the 11 disciples are there. And look at this, verse 14. And all these 
with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. What were they doing? They were praying together. They were praying. Did you know they had to wait 10 days for Jesus to fulfill his promise? Biblical scholars have calculated that it it was 10 days from the moment that Jesus ascended into the heavens. It took 10 days until the day that of Pentecost, when the promise was fulfilled and the spirit fell, they had to wait 10 days. And maybe that doesn't sound like a very long time to you and I, but I have a feeling that 10 days felt like an eternity to those disciples who were waiting, waiting on bated breath for Jesus to fulfill the promise he had made. And what were they doing while they were waiting? They were praying. They were crying. They had come together and they, and they prayed. And again, these were not just individual Christians lifting up their personal prayer needs. You know, Lord, I pray for my sister and my neighbor. All of that is great. They were, they were united together and seeking God, seeking Jesus to fulfill his promise. And after 10 days of praying devotedly, God responded in power. And the day of Pentecost arrived and, they, and the spirit was poured out upon them. Amazing. And it was because they prayed. It was because they prayed. You know, that in the book of Acts, this becomes the first of many instances where something really powerful happens and it's directly connected to the prayers of the church. It's fascinating In the book of Acts, it's as if Luke goes out of his way to show us this connection between the prayers of God's people and God actually doing something powerful in the world, some major moment in redemptive history, and every one of them happens in conjunction with the people praying. It's fascinating. You just read the book of Acts. If you were to read the book of Acts and notice, you'd see every major turning point in redemptive history is accompanied by the church gathered together seeking God in prayer. Can I show you just a couple of them? Will you keep your finger in Acts chapter 1? And let me just show you three. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts 4 tells the story of Peter and John after they had preached Jesus boldly in the streets of Jerusalem. They had healed a lame beggar. And the religious authorities were very threatened by this gospel proclamation. People were responding to the gospel. And so the authorities pulled uh, Peter and John before them and they basically scolded them and said, you got to stop talking about Jesus. And James, Peter, and John said, we can't. We, before God, we can never stop talking about Jesus. And the authorities warned them and then sent them out. And then Peter and John went back to the church. And what did they do? They fell on their knees together and they prayed. Look with me at verse 23 of chapter 4. It says, when they were le- released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. 
And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then you can read the prayer. They basically prayed for boldness. They'd been told, stop talking about Jesus. So, and so Peter and John come back to the church and the church says, we have to pray. And they seek God together. And it wasn't just individual prayers. This was, this was the church uniting together around a common desire. And they sought God and they said, God, please give us boldness to preach Christ without shame. And look what happened. Verse 24, verse 31 It says, uh, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You notice that? When, when was the place shaken with the Holy Spirit? It was when they had prayed. That's amazing. They prayed and God shook the place with the Holy Spirit and they received boldness. Unbelievable. Okay. So turn now a little further. Go to Acts chapter 8. Turn in your Bible. Let me hear the sound of those papers rustling. Love that sound. Make a lot of noise. Acts chapter 8. The persecution happens, and the gospel spreads because of persecution in Acts 8. So in verse 1 we read, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So a persecution happens, and many of the disciples scatter, and Philip leaves Jerusalem, and he goes down to Samaria, and when he's in Samaria, he begins to preach the gospel, and the people of Samaria respond to the word of God. And this was very surprising for the Jews because at that time, the Jewish Christians assumed that the gospel was only for their own people, their own kind, Jewish people. So they were shocked to discover that God had a plan for the gospel that would spread outside of their own nation and tribe. And the Samaritans were definitely outsiders. And suddenly a report comes back to Jerusalem. Philip has been preaching in Samaria and people are responding. So the church sends John and Peter again and they go to Samaria to see what's happening and they pray. And look what happens, verses 14 to 17. Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they, that is, Peter and John, laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. They prayed. They, 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 they came into this situation. They prayed together, and God responded, and the Spirit fell on these brand-new baby Samaritan Christians. Amazing prayer. Let me show you one more. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, verse 1. It's the story of the first missionary church, the first church that sends missionaries, the church in Antioch. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul 
for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And suddenly the gospel spreads now from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and out into the four corners of the world. And every major moment, every turning point in redemptive history, the book of Acts teaches us to see a connection between that moment of power and a group of believers who have come together and said, let's seek God in prayer. Amazing. What are we to conclude from that? Should we conclude, well, that sounds interesting. Does that mean that God is somehow limited by whether or not we pray? Does God only move as his people pray? No, certainly not. Is God dependent on the prayers of his people? Absolutely not. God was accomplishing what he had promised to accomplish throughout his word. But somehow God in his grace, he allows believers to experience this connection between our prayers and his incredible acts of power. And he does it. He does it because he loves us and he wants us to be a church that prays together. So in his mercy, he allows us to see the connection. We pray and then something amazing happens. In God's sovereign will, he works. And it's, it's incredible. And it's a privilege in the church to pray together. Do you know that in our church, the most amazing, powerful moments in the life of our church have always happened because people prayed together. I look back on the history of our church and Guy has told so many stories about all the different buildings and the different major moments and every single one of those moments happened because we were praying, seeking God together. I remember when we moved into this building and right when we moved in, we we realized we got a high school right across the street, right? Lake Oswego High School. We got a junior high right up here. We share a parking lot with the junior high school. And immediately the leadership said, we, we need to pray. We need to pray that God would do something amazing in our student ministries. And leaders in the church, and many of you joined us, we started praying faithfully, God, do something radical. Pour out your spirit on our student ministries. Can I tell you something? God has answered that prayer in amazing ways. Amen? God has blown up our student ministries. It's incredible. On Wednesday nights, we have a thing called Cabin Time. It's a junior high gathering. 80-plus kids come here every Wednesday night. Junior hires, 80 junior hires. That's either a sign of the apocalypse, all right, or it's a sign that God has poured out his spirit, right? 80 junior hires, you know, fall upon the building, and somehow the building is still standing when they leave. And it's amazing. And they're hearing about Jesus, and Derek and the other team are, are preaching Christ to them. God answered our prayers, the elders meet on Wednesday nights and we sit in that room and then suddenly we hear the stampede of elephants coming through the building, you know, and I always look around at the elders and I think, man, are they annoyed? And they're just smiling from ear to ear because they're so thankful that God answered our prayers. All of our ministry partnerships were birthed in prayer. Our relationships with ministries around the globe and right here in the city, about six years ago, people from our church and from other churches started to pray about the, the crisis in our city with foster children. 
You know, 2,000 kids every year end up in a DHS office in our city. 2,000 kids are yanked from their homes with nothing. They're usually pulled out by authorities from a, 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 a crisis situation. And they're taken down to some office where a DHS employee picks up the phone and makes phone calls to try to find a family that will take this child. And often the child is close enough they can hear the phone conversations. And people in our church started to pray, God, what, what would it be like if the church came alongside the government and we started to do something to be a blessing, to be a light in the life of a, of a child? So people in the city came up with this idea of welcome boxes where when a child shows up at a DHS office, they get a welcome box and it has a flashlight in it and it has a toy, and it has a change of socks. And we started, our church has started hosting parent night outs for DHS parents, and we've done all these ministries because we, 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 we want to be a source of light in our city. And all of that was birthed in prayer, River West. You could go on our webpage right now and read the story of our ministries to DHS. It's amazing. It happened through prayer. Something happens when believers come together and pray. They tap into something, a source of power, and God moves. And God allows power to get from heaven to earth, and things begin to happen. And it happens when we pray. It happens when we pray. And here's why. Every time that a group of believers gather together and begin praying, every time, there are two critical truths that they're confessing whenever, whenever they pray together. Two truths, so important. The first truth that we always confess when we pray, whether we are aware of it or not, is we confess our total inadequacy before God. That's what we're saying, right? When we pray, we're coming before God and we're saying, God, we are powerless to do anything. But also, Every time we pray, we're confessing not only are we powerless, God, but you are so powerful. You have ultimate power. And every time we pull together and we begin praying, we're always saying those two things. God, we are powerless, but you are powerful. And the church that prays is able to live somewhere right in between those two truths, right? Isn't that an interesting? We live right in the middle right in the place where the connection gets made. And even though we are powerless, somehow by God's grace as we pray, we're able to tap in to his power. It's amazing. Can you imagine how powerless those disciples felt that day as they saw Jesus leave them on a cloud? Can you imagine how inadequate they felt? Luke tells us, they had to walk back to Jerusalem. It was the Sabbath's day walk. All that means is, that's in verse 12, it just means that it was, it was the amount of distance you could walk on the Sabbath before it was considered work. It was one kilometer. You could walk one kilometer, which took maybe 20 minutes, maybe 15, depending on how slow they were going, right? And here they are, they're walking just 20 minutes, they're walking. They've seen Jesus ascend into heaven. Imagine how they felt. They were, they were in shock. 
And he'd given them this mission. Your mission is to go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel. This incredible mission. And I bet they felt so powerless. They're walking back to Jerusalem. This is why they immediately went to prayer. Because they knew we, we have been given an impossible mission and we are, we are totally inadequate in our resources. What do people do? What do people do when they feel powerless? They pray. When you feel powerless, you've been given something impossible to do and you know you don't have the ability to do it. You go to God in prayer. It's the feeling that every preacher feels at 8.59 in the morning when they're standing against the wall, right? Totally inadequate, especially if their mouth is full of canker sores. They're like, Lord, <laughs> right? And what do you do? You pray. And you have felt that too. You have felt that. Did you know that our church has been given an impossible mission? We have been asked to do something that is absolutely impossible because it requires supernatural power. Jesus says, I want River West Church to preach the gospel to the nations so that people would be saved by the truth about Jesus. That is impossible because it requires supernatural power. And River West, if we don't pray together, if we don't pray, it doesn't matter how gifted we are. It doesn't matter how much talent we have. It doesn't matter our resources. It doesn't matter if we're creative. It doesn't matter how polished our services are. It doesn't matter how strong your leadership is in your groups or your ministries. If we don't pray, no one will come to saving faith in Jesus because that requires a miracle. That requires the power of God. Amen? And so God says, pray. Don't depend on yourselves. Don't depend on your talent. Don't depend on being winsome or creative. Depend on the power of God. And the way that the church does that is we come together and we pray. We pray. And that's what we confess every time. We confess, God, we're totally inadequate. But also, also when we pray, we confess that God is absolutely supreme. That's what you're saying. When you gather with a group of believers and you begin to pray, your heart is turned and suddenly you begin to focus on God and you, and you declare, God, you are powerful. You are sovereign. You are absolutely supreme. And as you pray with other believers, it's almost as if the lid gets lifted off the world and, and we're allowed to see again, wait a minute, there's a God in heaven who's with us. We're not in this alone. We're not being called to do something in our own devices. God is with us and God is powerful. And as you pray, you've experienced this. You're with other believers and you begin praying and suddenly you're able to see with eyes of faith who's really in control of the universe, right? One of my favorite places in the book of Revelation is a vision of what's happening in heaven as God's people pray together. Will you look at it with me? Go to Revelation chapter 8. Sometimes we need to have the lid lifted off of our world so that we can see what's happening. Because often all we can see is what's happening out there and, and you can get discouraged and think, oh, the world is spiraling out of control. 
but it's not true. God is in control, and God is responding, and his, his, his people pray, and in Revelation 8, there's this powerful vision, starting in verse 3, an angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So the people have been praying. The saints have been praying, and an angel comes, and he mixes those prayers with incense, and then in a minute we'll see he mixes them with fire. Verse 4, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And they, and they rise, and the vision is that there's this incense rising, and there's fire, the power of the Holy Spirit, and this angel has taken the prayers of the people, and he sends them up to God. And it's, imagine the nostrils of God being filled with the incense, and the, and the point of the vision is God loves. He loves the prayers of his people. He loves it when you pray. He loves it when your community group gathers together and seeks him in prayer. He loves it when there are on Sunday morning around our building groups of River Westers gathered together in a circle praying. It, it's like incense filling God's nostrils. He loves it. And it's powerful. It rises with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And then look what happens in verse 5. The angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and he threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the picture is the prayers of the people rise to God and God responds with power. And he sends lightning and thunder and river west. That's what's happening when we pray together. We've got to do it. Why do you pray? Why do you pray for your unbelieving spouse? Why do you pray for your unbelieving neighbor? because you know God can save them. That's why you pray. Amen? Why do you pray for an unbeliever? Because you know God has the power to save them. Why do you come to your community group and say, please pray for me, I need to be healed? Why do you pray with others? Because you know only God has the power to heal. Why do people come to the elders and asked to be anointed with oil. Our elders will pray with anyone in the church who wants to be healed. And people come all the time. It's one of the, it's one of the, our favorite things to do as a team is we, a member of our community comes and we anoint them with oil and we pray. Why, why do we do that? Is it because we believe that the elders are amazing? No, it's because we know God has the power to heal people. Do you believe that? Are you circling up with other River Westers and praying and putting your hope in God's sovereign power? I hope that you are. Can I tell you one last thing about Acts chapter 1? We go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 14. There were, there were two characteristics about that prayer that was happening in the upper room that I think are worth noting. Luke describes the prayer in, in two ways. And it's really practical. The first thing that Luke tells us, if you notice, he says they were praying with one accord. They're praying with one accord. It's, it's an amazing Greek word. It's the word homothumadon. 
It's a, it's a compound word. The word homo means same, and the word thymos means passion. So these believers, when they gathered to pray, they weren't just praying scattered prayers. They united together, and they started praying the same thing together, and it was something they were passionate about. So they prayed passionately in unison, in one accord. They lifted their voices to God, and, and, Luke says they pr- and so Luke says they prayed in one accord, and it, what it did is it unified them together in prayer. This is a very diverse group of people. There were men and women and people of many different social structures and different levels of socioeconomic status, but somehow in that moment, all of their diversity went away, and they pulled together into a circle, and suddenly they were totally united around one passion. They wanted Jesus to fulfill his promise. And that's what prayer does. Prayer unites us. It unites us together. Isn't that amazing? You know, we're living in a world that is so divisive, so divided. Have you noticed this? Our world is so divided. How amazing that we can come into the church and experience unity. There's plenty of division out there, and it seems like people will divide over anything. Politics and religion and you name it, people will divide. And people will divide over silly things. It's almost like people want to divide. They'll divide over the most ridiculous things. If you don't believe me, come to a youth soccer game, all right? Just come to a youth sporting event and watch grown adults divide, right? It's amazing. I went to my nephew's soccer game this last summer and it was, I was standing out on the field and I watched as the parents got more and more angry towards each other. And the game was super intense and there was a lot of fouling and there was no scores, no goals. And then finally, right near the end of the game, the opposing team, one kid scored a goal and this father stood up. He was obviously the father of the kid, okay? And he turned to the parents from the opposite section and he just went, oh, like this. He just like got in their face. And I was like, dude, high school is over. Like, let it be in the past, right? And it was just this super divided, divisive thing. It's crazy. We'll divide over anything, right? So how amazing that God in his wisdom has, a, has allowed for something that we can do every day, a regular rhythm as we gather where suddenly we can unite, even though we have differences. We come from different backgrounds and different views, but somehow we come together and we begin to pray and we focus our agenda on Jesus and his mission and, it, and, we're, and we become united together. Isn't that amazing, River West? River West, don't miss an opportunity to gather up with other Christians and pray with them. Go to your community group. Come out on Wednesday, right here in our church at noon on Wednesdays. We have what's called Wednesday noon prayer. Come be a part of a prayer circle. Come get prayed for by the elders. If you see a group of people in a circle praying, just squeeze yourself in there, all right? It's not awkward. It's the church. Just make your way in there and and pray and be a part of what God's doing. They prayed with one accord, but also... And this is amazing. It says they were devoted to it. Luke says they were not only were they united, but they they devoted themselves to prayer. 
The Greek word literally means they kept moving forward with strength, even in the face of resistance. That's what the word means. Luke says, this group of believers, it was hard for them to pray, but they did not give up. They devoted themselves to it. And I think the reason the believers had to do that is because prayer is hard. There's a lot of resistance in our world to being people who pray. We're a very individualistic culture. And so we don't tend to spend a lot of time together in community. Have you noticed this? And it's happening more and more and more. We spend time at home, alone, binge-watching Netflix. We're a Netflix generation, right? And I'm not slamming Netflix. Netflix, I love it. Stranger Things, season two, just dropped. Anyway, but what happens is, okay, we're at home with our devices, with our TVs, but we, you, know, you know where we're not? We're not with other believers, praying. And so Luke says they were devoted. They fought to be a people who prayed together. River West, let's fight for this. This is a call. This morning is a call to you to be a part of a church that's praying together. You need to be in a community group. It's in your community group that you'll pray, right? And sometimes the resistance comes from within. Maybe as you're hearing the sermon, you're thinking, I'm uncomfortable praying with a group of believers. I don't, sometimes I don't like what I say and it doesn't sound right and maybe you feel insecure and you avoid that. But Jesus says, no, 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 don't worry about that. Just gather together with other believers, seek God, pray. It's, it's beautiful, it's amazing. Did you know that Jesus died on a cross so that we would be able, as a community, to enter boldly into God's presence and pray? That's why he died. Jesus took the penalty of sin he, he went to a sinner's cross, he died, and he entered the darkness of a tomb, and he walked out in the third day in victory so that men and women, just like you and I, could follow him into the throne room of heaven. The writer of Hebrews says, we have a high priest who's opened the way, and we can come boldly before a holy God, and as a community, we can pray to him. How amazing is that? How good is our God? Let's take advantage of this together. And I'm going to pray right now about it. Will you bow your heads with me? And let's unite together in one accord as we seek God in prayer. Heavenly Father, what an amazing gift we've been given. An unbelievable privilege. Right now, this moment that we're experiencing together is a privilege and a gift from you. The invitation that we have as your people, people who are broken people who have been rescued from sin and yet somehow in your grace and through the covering of your son Jesus we're invited into your presence and we can unite together and pray. 
And we believe, God, that in this moment, your power is at work in our community, even now as we seek you. You are pouring out power on our church. You're inspiring hearts. I know in this room, right in this moment, your spirit is at work in human hearts, nudging and inviting, convicting perhaps, convicting people of sin or inviting them deeper into Christ. We trust that you're at work, Lord, and we thank you for it. Lord, we want to be the kind of church that never ceases praying together with every opportunity that we have. May we be a church of prayer, we pray. And we thank you for it, Lord. And we pray these things together in the name of your son, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. amen.